0: Hi everyone, and welcome to our monthly Journal of Investigative Medicine podcast. My name is Dr. Zori Gonzalez, GI motility trainee at Texas Tech University in El Paso. And today we have a very special guest, Dr. Nicholas Davidson, who is professor of medicine and chief of gastroenterology at Washington University School of Medicine. He is also the director of the Digestive Disease Research Core Center. And his research interests are focused on the molecular genetics of hereditary colorectal cancer syndromes. How are you, Dr. Davidson?
1: I am doing well, thank you so much. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Um, He is our guest and uh, Dr. Richard McCallan will be the host, who is an internationally recognized gastroenterologist. And serves as our director of the Center for Neurogastroenterology. Dr. Davidson, we will start with uh, an easy question. In the spirit of March being National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, we decided that colorectal cancer screening in young patients would be a good topic. Why don't we start by defining what young onset colorectal cancer is?
1: Well, thank you for the question. Um, I think everyone has been focused for um, many years on screening and prevention of colorectal cancer. And um, colorectal cancer, like most common cancers, is a disease of aging. Um, The lifetime risk of colorectal cancer in the general population is around 6 to 7%. And most patients with colorectal cancer are elderly. So in the peak incidence is in the 60s um, uh, and 70s. Young onset or early onset colorectal cancer refers to patients under the age of 50 who develop colorectal cancer. And in 2020, the estimates are that one in 10 newly diagnosed colorectal cancers will be in patients under the age of 50. So this is a new development. um, And it's something that we're paying particular attention to. And we're trying to understand what the risk factors are and what are the associated clinical features that are distinctive about early onset or young onset colorectal cancer. um, And um, why is this epidemiology changing? So, um, if I, yeah, yeah. So um, this has become an issue as you, um, as you've probably seen from the lay press and and also from some of the journals. Um, Since screening colonoscopy was widely introduced for patients over the age of 50, Um, which which happened in about the mid-1990s. Colorectal cancer incidence um, uh, in all comers uh, in the United States has decreased by about 35%. So screening colonoscopy has been incredibly effective at decreasing the prevalence of colorectal cancer um, in patients over the age of 50. But at the same time, over the same period of time, colorectal cancer in young patients, so patients under the age of 50, has increased by 50%. So um, in 1992, um, patients in the age group 20 to 49, about 8.6 per 100,000, and in 2016, that um, incidence rate had gone up to 13.1 per 100,000. So uh, practically, it's it's about a 50% increase. Um, And this is um, a trend that has been seen in other westernized countries and in Asia. So it's not specific to the United States. Um, And the predictions are that by 2030, Um, 11% of colorectal cancer and 23% of rectal cancer patients will be under the age of 50. So this is a a big epidemiological shift um, and we are working really hard to try and understand why it's happening um, and what we can do to mitigate that change.
2: Excellent, uh, Dr. Davison. Let me follow up with a couple of questions not from a depth expert such as you, but from an observer who does their share of colonoscopies. I was um, interested in the fact that anal cancer in women has shown a similar trend uh, in the latest statistics over the last 10 years, the increase in uh, anal cancer in females. Um, Any comments about that versus anal cancers in men and perhaps Theories about papilloma virus, about yeah. anal intercourse, about any <laughs> other theories you have.
1: Well, the uh, you know this is an understudied area, but I think you know your observations and those comments are are right on target. Um, you know, among the risk factors um, that have been um, suggested for these increased. Um, uh, incidents, not not only in um, colon and rectal cancer, but also specifically in anal cancer um, is the increased prevalence of human papilloma virus and so sexual practices and I think you know that that 's going to be a a big component to be investigated I think in that context um, it 's worth mentioning that this increase in early onset colorectal cancer is particularly in left-sided colorectal cancer. And as I said before, there's a bigger increase in the prevalence of rectal versus colon cancer. So I think that, um, you know, we need to understand much more about um, epidemiology and risk factors for left sided colorectal cancer. Um, uh, I think that, um, Infections, but also changes in the microbiome um, have been implicated. Um, There's a number of bacterial taxa that have been implicated as being associated with colorectal cancer, particularly fusobacterium nucleatum, um, which has been found um, as a, a mucosal associated taxon in colon cancer, but also sort of more generally, um, you know, the increased incidence, the increased use of antibiotics, um, particularly in um, in kids, has tripled since the 1980s. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of um, work being done to try and implicate early exposure to uh, antibiotic use, early exposure and frequency of antibiotic use in, in young um children um, and later development of um, a a range of GI diseases, not just GI diseases, but also obesity um, and metabolic syndrome. And I think, you know, that as well is a risk factor. Obesity is much more prevalent now than it was. And obesity in childhood and in early adolescence is, is playing a big factor in this increased prevalence that we're seeing in metabolic syndrome, but also in cancers of a number of types, including colorectal cancer.
2: Let me uh, move on to another question that's appropriate uh, for the early onset for everyone, is lifestyle. Most of my children have become vegetarians. very hard to have a Thanksgiving dinner at our house. I'm the only one eating turkey. But um, what I did is I sort of challenged them and went to the literature, and you would update me further, but looking at data to the first diagnosed polyp at screening, and the adenomatous versus malignant nature of that polyp, and other data, uh, recently actually a good article in um, uh, Annals, uh, there was no indication that being a strict vegetarian anyway protected you from uh, documenting the onset of the first polyp, and was not different from meat eaters, and there was no trend towards a malignant tone in in the meat eaters. Any concepts on vegetarianism, other ways to stave off uh, the cancer component of life?
1: So I think the the points that you make are absolutely right. There is no consistent evidence linking um, meat consumption um, versus no meat consumption um, in terms of the um, prevalence of, of colorectal cancer and certainly not in terms of early onset colorectal cancer. So I think in terms of um, dietary advice, um, this appears to be much more likely related to obesity, insulin resistance, early onset of type 2 diabetes. So I think it has to do more with your total calorie consumption rather than Specifically, whether you're eating red meats versus you know, strictly vegetables. I think if you're obese, you are at risk, if you're diabetic, you are at risk, if you're insulin resistant, you're at risk. So, those are the so, in terms of modifiable risk factors, what I tell patients is. You know, if you're overweight, try to reduce your weight. If you don't exercise, try to start exercising. Anything that you can do that would decrease insulin resistance is going to be good for your colon. And then don't smoke. So smoking, obesity, um, and type 2 diabetes, those are the three major modifiable risk factors. Things that you're not going to be able to modify Race and ethnicity. So we know that blacks are much more susceptible. Uh, Colorectal cancer is typically more advanced when it's diagnosed and at any age blacks develop um, more advanced, more and more advanced adenomas. So you're not going to be able to do anything about that, but you can recognize that it's a risk factor and try to stay lean and don't smoke. So your race and ethnicity, you can't do anything about, and your genetics—that's the hand of cards that you've been dealt. So,
2: well, speaking um, of genetics, I—I yeah. uh, had a fellow Australian who called me the other day with a mass in the rectum, and we mm-hmm. uh, diagnosed it um, at uh, endoscopy, and he's now undergoing chemotherapy and radiation prior to surgery. But at the tissue uh, staining he was surprised to be told that he had some findings consistent with Lynch syndrome.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, do you want to go in a bit about tissue staining of polyps and how we are focusing on changes that would suggest Lynch syndrome and how we might change our method of treating that patient?
1: Yeah, so you're asking a, um, a very important question. So um in terms of the, the, the role of genetics in colorectal cancer generally, and in early onset colorectal cancer. So um, let me get to that, but first let me, um, let me address an important concept, and, and that is um, universal testing of colorectal cancer samples. That, that is occurring at most medical centers in the country, and I'm sure at your, your institution Um, as well as internationally. What happens is that cancers are um, immunostained for the um, most common um, genes that encode mismatch repair genes. And those are the genes that are defective in Lynch syndrome. It's a common misconception, Richard, that you can stain polyps for those same genes and you cannot These are genes where um, the loss of expression of that gene occurs in the cancer. It doesn't occur in the polyp. So it's a negative result. In other words, preservation of staining does not exclude Lynch syndrome. So you have to test the cancer, not the polyp. So um, in terms of genetics and colorectal cancer, In all comers, um, 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 there's about a 7% um, incidence of some kind of germline variant um, in one of the genes that encode either mismatch repair genes, those are the genes that are defective in Lynch syndrome, or in the uh, adenomatous polyposis coli APC gene. Um, which is defective in a very rare syndrome called familial adenomatous polyposis. But in young onset, early onset colorectal cancer, rather than 7% having germline variants up to up to a third. So up to 35% of patients, young onset colorectal cancers have pathogenic germline variants. So genetics plays a much more important role in early onset colorectal cancer. And among those variants, more than 50% have variants in mismatch repair genes, such as the type that your colleague in Australia had. So Lynch syndrome is, is an important cause of colorectal cancer in all patients, but particularly in patients with early onset colorectal cancer.
2: Thanks, Nick. We're getting towards the end. I'm going to slip in one more question, okay? Because I think our audience, you do believe in colonoscopy, but I did read an article last night, actually, in the Clinical Gastroenterology Hepatology Journal, entitled Diagnostic Yield of One-Time Colonoscopy Versus One-Time Flexible SIG Versus Multiple Rounds of Male Fecal Immunohistochemical Tests for Colorectal Cancer Screening. Bottom line, They found the most effective strategy in population-based colorectal cancer screening, leading to a detection of higher rates of adenoma and colorectal cancer was four rounds of fecal blood blood testing, uh, was more effective actually, uh, of diagnosing colorectal cancer adenomas as polyps versus a single endoscopy. And they thought this was very important for populations who are not either financially able to uh, rally into a screening colonoscopy program or could not uh, could not be reached for that. Uh, no. What are your thoughts about, uh, you know, we don't tend to popularize these as gastroenterologists, but I have to say I was impressed by this article. What is your stance at, uh, at WashU in St. Louis about multiple fecal occult abort- fecal blood testings in, yeah. in population?
1: That's an excellent question. So, um, I, I think the take home message is that any screening for, you know, on a mass population basis, any screening is better than no screening. And if um, you're resource constrained, then multiple rounds of fecal immunochemical testing or FOBT is much better than doing nothing. Um, y- you know, I, uh, w- we um, recommend screening colonoscopy for everyone over the age of 50. But the uptake rate of that is, you know, around 50%. So we don't reach everyone who should be being screened. And in particular, the groups that we don't reach are tend to be the ones who are poorer, less educated, um, have less access to health care. And, you know, Sadly, those are the groups that are much more at risk of colorectal cancer because they tend to be overweight. They tend to smoke. They tend to be um, insulin resistant and diabetic. So, you know, we're in this catch 22 of not having enough of the right types of modalities to reach patients who really should be screened. And this, this, is very relevant in terms of, you know, how do you impact this increase in early onset colorectal cancer? So the recommendations from the American Cancer Society are that patients now should be screened by colonoscopy starting age 45, okay? Which is fine. But um, even though the inc- there's an increased incidence of colorectal cancer in patients under 50, it's a relatively small number and if you started screening everyone under the age of four, you know, under the, uh, by, by age 45, this would add an additional 22 million eligible patients, which would add huge cost at really marginal benefit. So it's a big societal question. I mean, the questions that you're asking are excellent. Um, and there's really no data on the screening efficacy in young, patients. We don't know whether that, you know, you're going to get an effective bang for your buck if you do a, a negative screening colonoscopy at age 45. What does that mean? Does it mean the next screening colonoscopy should be at, at 55 or at 50? Um, so um, so these are, these are huge issues. I think, again, coming back to your question, um, we need to pay attention to alarm symptoms in young patients. So Um, I saw a patient um, a couple of months ago, age 26, who had rectal bleeding for a year, went to see his primary, was told it was hemorrhoids, went back three months later, same thing, was given some topicals, no attempt to do anoscopy, anything. He was referred to me because of abdominal pain. And when I did his um, colonoscopy, he had um, an obstructing sigmoid colon mass. So 26 years old with a year of rectal bleeding. So the take home message is alarm symptoms need to be taken seriously. And in patients who may, you know, have occasional rectal bleeding, um, that's an alarm symptom. Young people should not have iron deficiency anemia or unexplained rectal bleeding um, and, um, you know, as to the best modality for screening, I think that, you know, if you wanted to implement a population-wide strategy, um, for young people, I think FOBT would be, you know, certainly, it's certainly better than nothing. And I think that that would be a very reasonable first step. So. Thank you. Thank you
2: very much, doctor David Simmer. This has been a, a wonderful podcast. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. We've, we're talking to Dr. Nicholas Davison for 22 years, the chief of the Division of Gastroenterology at Washington University Barnes Hospital, one of our premier GI medical centers in the country, and an expert in this area, as you've, uh, you can attest to now. I wanted to thank you again, Nick. It's been great for a, uh, an Australian to talk to a fellow Englishman. I wouldn't mention <laughs> I don't want to mention cricket because Australia is hot right now, but uh, uh, I do want to thank you.
1: You're uh, very welcome. This was this was fun for me. Um, I hope that uh, it was helpful and useful to you.
2: Thanks again. And thanks uh, for your time again, Nick, and for our listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We're officially going to be signing off now. Uh, good afternoon, everyone.